I love to talk about it. Happy Easter. I am so, so overwhelmingly happy to be here this morning. Really good to be with you. If you're tuning in with us, we I just saw on the chat feed that my friend Colin from uh, the UK has has uh, has logged in. I've got friends in Indonesia that are possibly looking on Facebook or whatever. And, and uh, we've had people from Georgia to Florida to Texas to uh, South Carolina and and all over the Pennsylvania and New Jersey that have logged in. So this is really exciting to see people just uh, joining together, even when we can't be physically together. It's kind of nice. If you have a Bible, open with me to John chapter 10. Uh, we are still, this is our 10th sermon in John. And today, John 10 sort of uh, lends itself to the gospel story and to Easter Sunday. So we're going to stay with it. Um, I want to say that right now we know that all these small businesses out there are really struggling. Uh, we see that, um, you know, we know that owners are married to their small business, you know, managers sort of depend on a paycheck. And if the business fails, they'll just go get another job. It's not their baby. They won't sacrifice. They won't inject their own cash. It's just not theirs, but a business owner it's, it's sort of an extension of that business owner. I owned two small businesses when I was younger, and I tell you what, I was devoted to those things. Um, you know, em- employees might slack off for a manager, but when the owner walks in and they hear his voice or her voice, man, they snap to it, right? And Jesus speaks of the church in a similar way this morning in John chapter 10 as it paints our next portrait of him as being the shepherd and also the sheep gate, and you'll understand both terms as we go through this. But John chapter 10, we're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to go through it piecemeal. Uh, I'm going to read the first six verses. It says, Very truly I tell you, Pharisees. Now, if you're with us and you don't know what a Pharisee is, that's okay. They were just the prideful sort of religious leaders. They were a, a, a group of religious leaders, like sort of the top of the heap, right? And these are the guys that should have... Uh, if anybody should have followed Jesus, they, they should have, but they have become so prideful in their learning that they just don't want to follow him. So uh, he's been speaking to them throughout all these chapters leading up to John chapter 10 here. And so he says, very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens uh, the, the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice, but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. And Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. We'll end there for a minute. But, uh, you know, Jesus has been very patient and clear with these religious leaders, giving them every opportunity to understand and accept who he is to them, right? Although they've understand what he claims to be, and that, that is God come as man, God incarnate, God made flesh, right? And they've even seen signs of his divinity and the healings that he's performed and things like that. They've chosen not to put their faith in him, you know, and he'll now use this image of a shepherd and of a sheep gate to communicate himself one more time to them and to the others listening. Now, a shepherd's job 
as night descended in Palestine was to protect the sheep from predators. We all know that. We, you know what? There's things out there that would love to have a plump little sheep for dinner, right? And so he'd keep them in a circular sheep pen about 10 feet high with a single opening for a door at night. And several shepherds, uh, you know, might be placed, or several shepherds, Shepherds' flocks might be placed in one pen every night, and shepherds took nightly turns sleeping in the doorway, so anything harmful would have to go through the shepherd to get in, right? So the question we have for us this morning is, how does this illustration speak to these prideful religious leaders, these Pharisees, right, that Jesus is talking to? Well, we remember from last week that they are uh, stuck you know, they, that they are sort of blind by choice, right? They're unable to rectify Jesus speaking truth to the crowds and his healing people. And he, he just simply doesn't fit their mold. He's not what they expected, right? And maybe you're stuck today in, in how you view Jesus, right? But I'm hoping and I'm praying that God adjusts our focus of him today, that, that we see Jesus in a new light, in the light that Jesus wants us to see him in, right? Now, up to this point, Jesus has spent most of his time in the courtyard of the temple, this outer courtyard of the temple, you know, that's walled in, teaching the Jews. In other words, he's speaking to his sheep in his pen, right? Because at that moment, Jews were the chosen people of God, and the temple was considered to be God's dwelling place on earth. So later he'll claim that there are other sheep not of his pen yet, uh, referring to non-Jewish peoples who'd later choose to follow Jesus, right? And we'll see that as it comes along. But he's using the temple walls with its gate as a metaphor, right? And within those walls, some will recognize his, his voice, others won't, right? Since they're not his sheep. So some present will see Jesus as their shepherd, and for others, they won't. And still others that he'll bring in from the surrounding Gentile nations, which we see in Pentecost and over time, right? But he's not saying, what he's not saying is, he's not saying, I, I am a shepherd among shepherds. He's saying there's only one true shepherd of humankind, and that is himself. He is Lord, he is king, he, he'll fill this temple with all of those who will follow his voice. Now, as we've said, several flocks might share the same sheep pen. However, when a particular shepherd walks up to that door and calls, only his sheep recognize and respond to his voice. Others don't. They know his call. They follow him in and out while others stay behind. There was an Australian man who was arrested once and charged with stealing a sheep that he claimed was his, one sheep, right? And when the case went to court, the judge asked that the sheep itself be brought into the courtroom, and he ordered the plaintiff to step outside and call the animal, right? And when he did so, the sheep didn't move. And then, they, then the, the judge asked the defendant to go out in the hallway and call the sheep. And when, he, when the accused made his distinctive call, that, that sheep bounded for the door. It was obvious uh, that he recognized the voice of his master, and the case was automatically dismissed. So when a shepherd calls a sheep, they instinctively follow, right? They, he doesn't have to drive them like you would have to drive goats. Sheep just follow their shepherd's voice. So John continues in verse 7. He says, Therefore Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. 
All So he's shepherd and he's also the gate, right? I am the gate for the sheep. Verse eight, all who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And now, isn't that a great promise, right? That's what we all want. You know, so standing in the temple courts, using this structure as a metaphor for a sheep pen, Jesus also highlights this gate. And it kind of reminds us of 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, where it says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, and that is the man Christ Jesus, right? Um, Jesus is the one gate in which we come into the presence of God. Jesus is the one shepherd who leads us through the gate, right? And then John continues in verse 11. Let's go there. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Amen to that, right? The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks and the flock attacks the flock and scatters it. And the man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Think about your manager of your business. When the business goes south, he just takes off and gets another job, right? Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I, and, and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep, he says. Verse 16, I have other sheep that are not of this pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd, right? One flock and one shepherd. So Jesus is the, she, the shepherd of the sheep because he entered this world through the, you know, according to God's plan and timing, right? He was virgin born as prophesied in Isaiah chapter 7, and that was fulfilled in Matthew chapter 1. He was born in Bethlehem as prophesied in Matthew, or Micah chapter 5, and that was fulfilled in Matthew chapter 2. He comes into the fullness of time as we see in Galatians chapter 4. He was brought out of Egypt as prophesied in Hosea 11 and fulfilled in Matthew 2. And his arrival provoked the rage of the enemy as prophesied in Jeremiah 31 and fulfilled in Matthew 2. You know, I just want to stop there and say that my brother, who's just planted a church in Florida, it might be watching today, and if he is, I, I remember how he took for me all those ancient prophecies, 400, 700 years before Christ came, and he tied them to the New Testament, and it just, the lights went on. I hung up the phone with him, and I dropped to my knees, and I gave my life to the Lord that night, just because it spoke to me so strongly. So Jesus, you got to realize that Jesus is the right person, born at the right place, arriving at the right time, summoned from the right country, and attended by the right signs. He is the shepherd who came through the gate, to call his sheep the only gate to God in the sheep pen of life, and that is Jesus, the shepherd who willingly lays down his life for his sheep. Amen to that. The gate by which we enter new life with God. And we know that this imagery of Jesus in John's gospel is plentiful. It's multifaceted. We've seen in past weeks, you can go and listen to all the other sermons, that he's the living water, the sheep gate, the bread of life, the fountain of life, the son of man, the word of God, the savior, the teacher, the great physician, the one who satisfies. And today we see him as both shepherd and sheep gate, right? But 
Let me stop here and let's transition. If you didn't catch it, he alludes to yet another role he plays for us, and it's a very important one on this Easter Sunday. He is the one who lays down his life for the sheep, for us. And that's very important. He is the one perfect sacrifice for humanity. He is the unblemished, sacrificial lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I totally and absolutely 100%, 110% believe that. You know, Christmas tells us that God entered the world in the form of a child. Uh, Quoting the prophet Isaiah, Matthew tells us in chapter 1 of his gospel that all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. All those ancient prophecies that my brother shared with me way back when. And it says in verse 23, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel. And that means God with us, God with us. And so that child, the Bible tells us, grew up to be a man, the person of Jesus, right? Performed miracles, even in front of these Pharisees that, are, that don't want to accept it, cared for the poor, healed the sick, and, and he never once sinned. And that is that he never once, never once did he ever transgress God's moral law. And that's very important. Jesus, who said of himself in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one comes to God the Father except through me. So he is God with us. He's the shepherd. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. He's the only gateway to knowing God. Now, Good Friday, what we celebrated three days ago, tells us that this God-man Jesus actually did give his life for his sheep. Just as prophesied, and as he also alluded to himself in John chapter 10, and he stated what happened in Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, after Peter proclaimed him as the one, the, the Messiah, the one sent from God to save mankind. After Peter made that proclamation, it says, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Now, this was the messianic call, as stated in the prophets that came before. that the Messiah would lay down his life for his people. It's what a loving God does, by the way. He lives among us. He walks with us. He experiences life as we experience life. He actually experiences more pain than we could ever endure, and then he dies in our place. Doing for us what we could not do for ourselves, his death actually heals our crooked hearts. You know, many of America's small businesses won't recover from this pandemic. They'll die no matter how much effort an owner puts into it. They'll be gone. They'll eventually be forgotten, never to provide anything to a customer again as the lifeblood flow of cash is drained out of them. And there is no return from death. We all know that. And let me just say really clearly on Friday, what we celebrated three days ago, Good Friday, Jesus was led to death on the cross. We call it Good Friday. That doesn't make any sense. And and a cross is something that we adorn ourselves with. We wear it as jewelry. Now, you got to understand, the electric chair is the modern equivalent of that ancient cross. Crucifixion was Rome's means of capital punishment. 
So wearing a cross in first century Palestine would be like wearing a miniature electric chair around your neck today. People would think you really strange and even quite morbid if you did so. Now, to die on a cross was absolutely brutal. If you didn't pass out from the pain of having spikes driven through your wrists and your ankles, you may pass out when they lift that cross up and they drop the base of the cross into a two-foot hole to anchor it. You imagine the jolt on your extremities. Or you might pass out uh, from pressing your broken ankles up against that metal spike that's been driven through them to lift yourself up desperately trying to get a breath. Because that is death by crucifixion. It is not by blood loss. It's, it's a struggle from breath, from be, uh, for breath from beginning to last. As you hang there, your body collapses against your lungs and you slowly suffocate. It's horrible. Add to it the heat of the day and the sting of sweat and open wounds, and it's probably the most inhumane way to take a person's life. And that's how Jesus died for you. That's how he died for you, an excruciatingly painful death. And his heart stopped. we got to understand this. His heart stopped. Blood ceased to, flow, ceased to flow that day. And his chest no longer rose and fell with breath any longer. And they confirmed that. He was dead and buried and put away. He was dead as a doornail. There was no coming back from that, we thought. So how does a, such a symbol of pain and death become for Christians around the world, the symbol of ultimate life and joy. It doesn't make any sense. Why call it Good Friday, right? Well, if that had been the end of the story, we'd not be wearing a cross as jewelry, and I wouldn't be speaking to you right now. I'd probably be still in bed. Hope would have died on that cross that Friday. And the story would have died out along with all the other thousands of people crucified by Rome throughout history. Just like 10 years from now, we'll struggle to remember the names of the small businesses which died during this pandemic. But at some point, this is the weird thing, at some point in the interior of that cold, quiet, dark tomb, eyelids began to flutter, and blood began to flow again, and a heart began to beat, maybe slowly at first, I don't know, and the cold, stiff pallor of Jesus' dead face turned again to warm, springy flesh. And there was a gasp of breath and maybe a small cough. I don't know. And eyes opened and, and he desperately tried to focus in the dark maybe and through one small crack of sunlight between the rocks. And then he stood and he stretched and somehow that stone was rolled away and he emerged alive as, we've, as he predicted and as he promised. Amen to that. You know, today, I want to make clear, today we celebrate not just Jesus' willingness to lay down his life in a brutal death. That in itself would be noble if accomplished by somebody. We know people have died for others in life, but it's still not enough. It's not enough. We needed more, and the weird thing is that we weren't asking for it. He did this only. He came into this world as God in flesh, and he walked this life out, and he did this by his own free will. He went to the cross willingly. But remember, if Friday happened without Sunday, it would fall painfully short of our need. A willing death does nothing for you and me. It might just extend my life a little bit longer. 
There has to be a, a victory. There has to be a conquering of death. Death which seeped into the world at the beginning of days when humankind collectively turned our back on God and we fell out of relationship with him, bringing sin into the world. Sin which separates us from a holy God, but that Christ erases by paying its price. Because sin cannot cohabitate with holiness, nor would we want it to. God's holiness, God's purity, God's peace is what we really long for, even if we don't realize it. Now, never mind all the horrific acts done by other people, by others throughout history, like the Hitlers of the world and all that stuff. The most obvious of sin, that which is so easily labeled as sin by even the greatest skeptic or atheist, that's not what I'm necessarily talking about, although it's included. Because if I look at sin that way, that might leave my seemingly trivial disobedience to the high moral call of God off the hook, but it doesn't. Even if I've twisted one small truth, if I've uttered one small lie, if I've hated one person, even just in my heart, for one second, I have fallen into the company of all the rest of humanity and that I have not held up the great standard of God's moral law. None of us have and none of us can, and thank God for his grace. Because we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, if we're honest. That's Romans chapter 1. We needed Jesus' sacrifice on Friday, but equally so, we needed his resurrection on Sunday. His sinless sacrifice opened the door for relationship with God the Father once more. God, by grace, pursued us, and he mended the broken relationship. We needed the power of his resurrection, the power to conquer death's stranglehold on us. Friday leads to Sunday when that stone was rolled away and the angels said to the women who came to attend his burial site, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. And everybody can say amen to that right now. I can hear you almost, right? And then he conti- they continue, remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Focus on that word must because it had to happen. Jesus must be delivered over, must die, and must rise again. And that is what we celebrate today. And it's not sentimentality. I'm not just some passionate guy with, you know, some axe to grind. It's not sentimentality, but this is the reality of, a, of death conquered. He actually died, and he actually rose again. It is a well-documented account of a powerful work of God, witnessed by hundreds, if not thousands, and even non-Christians have written about it. The moment on which all of time and eternity pivot the shepherd who willingly gives his life for his sheep, but also who takes it back up again for them. The one blameless sacrifice covering all of humanity's ills and sins and fallen nature and mistakes, intentional and unintentional. Isn't that good news? The good shepherd who brings life to anyone who would follow his voice. You know, not just his words were a parable, but his life was as well. It wasn't until after his death and resurrection that statements like he made in John chapter 12 make any sense to to us or anybody else. He said, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. 
glorified by the cross, glorified by the resurrection. And he says in verse 24, very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. His death was necessary to pay the cost of our weighty sin. And not one person in their right mind can say anyone except Jesus of Nazareth is innocent of sin. If you do, you've chosen to be blind in your own pride. Say that boldly. Sorry. (laughs) That sin... We don't need to take to our graves any longer, separating us from God the Father. We don't, because Jesus willingly took it to the cross and then took it to his grave for us. Only a sinless sacrifice like his could accomplish this. Not one of us could have done that for anybody else. He said, as he said in John chapter 10, he willingly lays down his life for his sheep. So like a seed dying in the dirt, Christ's one substitutionary death produced life for many. As a seed dies, it bursts new life. If Jesus stayed in that tomb, none of this would be worth it. But if he didn't, he rose, right? He, he rose and new life began. And when the seed of that new life falls on an open heart, good soil to receive it, they, they receive his voice and they follow it, it produces new life. So Friday's pain leads to Sunday's joy. And all pain leads to new life in some way. What you're experiencing right now with this coronavirus thing may be somewhat painful, but God will bring new life from from it. Maybe it got you on this webinar to hear about Christ for the very first time today. Maybe it's broken you of some old destructive habits. Maybe it slowed you down to get you to actually think about mortality and eternity for once. You know, when trouble hits, managers leave but owners stay, and God owns you. He's, he's devoted to you. He's speaking to these Pharisees, the guardians of truth, so steeped in their learning that their pride is taken over. They no longer recognize the voice of God and seek to control the crowd for their own purposes. They are the hired hand. They are the robber who climbs in over the wall, caring nothing for the, for the people. But Jesus speaks of the bond that exists between sheep and shepherd. They know him. He knows them. You know, sheep all look alike to me, but a good shepherd can tell them apart, often because of their little defects or their particular traits or whatever. There was a man tending his sheep one time, and he explained to his friend, you see that sheep over there? His toes point inward, and that one has a squint, and that one's missing a small patch of wool on its back, and that one has a small black mark, and that one closest to us has a small piece torn out of his ear. And observing all of them, the other guy thought about Christ, who also knows the individual weaknesses and failings of all his children, and he watches over us with love and understanding. With infinite concern, he notes the doubts, the fears, the trials, the conflicts, the defeats, which disturb our peace, and he leads us in and out to a beautiful pasture. The shepherd knows his sheep. He knows everything there is to know about you, Matthew chapter 10 and chapter 6. He knows every strength and every weakness, every joy and every burden, every mountain and every valley. He knows every victory and battle. He stands ready to help us in the times of need. Hebrews chapter 4 says that. He's our good shepherd, and he will look after us, as it says in Psalm 23. You know, when someone tunes a piano, there are thousands of pounds of pressure put on those strings, and you're dealing with micro distances in tuning. Each note 
has three strings which have to be tuned to each other. And you can't tune a piano to another piano, but a thousand pianos tuned to, to the same tuning fork are automatically tuned to each other. You know, God pressures us to, to tune us to the voice of the shepherd, which brings unity and love and direction as we're all tuned to one voice. You know, we can't tune ourselves to another person or the lies of the enemy, only to the voice of Jesus. You know, guardians of truth, these Pharisees hear the words, but they tune themselves to something different. Spiritual health takes pressure. It takes redirection. It takes following. Jesus, the only gate to enter back into relationship with God, tune yourself to the shepherd who leads us into abundant, full life of wholeness again. So remember, Good Friday leads to a happy resurrection day. And I'm praying for you all to hear the voice of your shepherd right now, either for the first time or even more clearly in the year to come. Use your time wisely as you're on lockdown. Seek his voice through the scriptures, in prayer with the Holy Spirit, and with other growing mature Christians. And I want to pray for us as we close this out. Father God, we thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you uh, even more so for your resurrection. We thank you that we have a God that loves us enough to come and enter our reality and, and walk with us and live with us and suffer for us and die for us and rise again to conquer sin and death in this world. We know that there's a lot out there that needs to be fixed. We see it. And we, we, we are grateful that we have a God that is doing something about it. So I pray for the hearts of the people listening right now and mine as well, that we would be tuned to your voice over the coming year. And in Christ's name we pray, amen. If you uh, have never given your life to Christ, I would invite you to do that right now. And please email me, jason at 68.org. I would love to get on the phone and talk you through that. Um, now, if you downloaded the, the lyric sheet, there's some additional stuff on there. Uh, I got to get rid of something on here on my computer. <laughs> uh, there's some stuff on there. Uh, that is additional that you can, you can look at for extra study. There's a, a whole list of verses and different things like that. Last three pages of the lyric sheet. And we hope that that's a blessing to you. Um, right now we're going to leave this live for a little while. Uh, and we're going to let you guys chat. If you want to say something on the, on the chat board there, go ahead and do that. We'll leave it live. And remember, if you need prayer this week, contact prayer at six, org, and Rachel will set it up to, to either you know individually pray over you, they can set up a soaking prayer through their community group to do it on whatever night they meet. I forget what night that is. I think it's Wednesday night or Thursday night. Um, and they will do that for you. But God bless you guys. Happy Easter. I had fun preaching this sermon. Who doesn't you know get, get happy about this? So love all of you. And uh, I can't wait to be in the same room with you.